You have 100 messages. Welcome to the Voicemail Poems podcast for summer 2017. I'm your host, Logan Cure. Today I am joined by one of Voicemail Poems' brand new editors, I.S. Jones. Welcome, I.S. Hello, hello, everyone. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I'm a poet, writer, huge hip-hop head, currently living in New York by way of Southern California. I'm a staff writer at Dead End Hip Hop. I'm also a co-host for another podcast called the Carefree Black Girl Podcast. I'm very fortunate to have some poems coming out with Anomaly, which is formerly Drunken Boat. Um, I've been a longtime fan of Drunken Boat, now Anomaly. And so to have poems with them makes me feel like I'm a poet for real. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm also an assistant editor for another literary magazine called Chaparral. I do a lot, network a lot, eat a lot of pizza. I'm running to be poet laureate of the moon someday. Um, Nice, nice. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. I'm super excited you're here. I'm glad to be here. So we're going to talk about uh, three outstanding poems from the summer issue. So this was my first time coming on as a new editor. And um, yeah, there were a lot of knockouts in this edition. So it was kind of hard to choose which one of all of them we were going to focus on. But I feel very good about the choices we made. Good. Yeah, same. So this, this issue actually makes one year for me. With voicemail poems. Yay, Mm -hmm. one anniversary. (laughs) So we're going to start out with Tomorrow Will Be Beautiful by Mercedes Lucero. Hi, this is Mercedes Lucero calling from Lawrence, Kansas. Recently, Google put out America's Most Misspelled Words by State, and I turned these words into a poem titled Tomorrow Will Be Beautiful. Today is a vacuum. Today is diarrhea and dilemma and Wisconsin. But somewhere, tomorrow is hallelujah and hallelujah and people. Tomorrow is surprise. Tomorrow there will be 90 special bananas. I can sense it, but I know you think me a liar. I appreciate everything you find suspicious. I really can sense it. Be patient, young chihuahua. Oh, you, young giraffe. Tomorrow is beautiful. Give license and sense to it. Tomorrow is like a diamond. Tomorrow there may be nothing but gray chaos, and even that will be beautiful. Tomorrow is available. So what drew you to this poem? I love the optimism of the title. Something about poems that that wake me up the right way. It reminded me of the poem Awaken in New York by Maya Angelou. I love poems like that that kind of bring the sunrise in. And there are so many gorgeous moments in the poem. 
but somewhere tomorrow is hallelujah and hallelujah and the people. I love the idea mm-hmm. of tomorrow being people. That just sounds so gorgeous. Tomorrow there will be nothing but gray chaos. And even that will be beautiful. Uh, <laughs> stop. <laughs> yeah. It was so consistently surprising. Yeah. The, the fact that it's a found poem from misspelled words, I think, is also really... I think that contributes to it being surprising using all of these words that people so typically make mistakes with. Yeah. It's really yeah. beautiful. The poem is, is smart and funny and clever without, without doing too much. It's, it's really like just enough seasoning. And I just love poems that, um, that challenge what I thought about the everyday life. That's how I came into poems. And that's what I've always been taught about what poems do that can be successful. Take, the average and make it extraordinary. Yeah, the, the poem is just very successful and having its own its own landscape of magic, if you will. Yeah. And it uses these really ordinary things in ways that are they're like elevated, right? Tomorrow will be 90 special bananas. Like I'm not totally yeah. sure what that means, but I am excited. <laughs> yeah. Something I do love the specificity of 90 special bananas. Like why are these bananas so special? The poem is also very good about having an air of mystery without seeming too vague. The moment where the speaker says, I appreciate everything you find suspicious. Yeah. Sort of acknowledges the skepticism of a reader. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it also makes the, the voice of the poem that much more human. I like poems that I can imagine as being a voicemail. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. And I can see this as being like the sort of delightful voicemail that a friend leaves you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can see this on a broadside. Absolutely. I can see this also on Poetry in Motion because the MTA... And I think the city of New York teamed up with poets to have their work put up on subway walls as people commute. That way they have a little bit of poetry in their life. But like, I don't know. I would want to be cheeky and use the part today is diarrhea and dilemma in Wisconsin, but somewhere tomorrow is hallelujah and hallelujah and people. I love it. That's awesome. So you can find out more about this poet at MercedesLucero.com. So Lucero is spelled L U. C-E-R-O dot com. And we'll also have it in the description of the podcast episode itself. All right. So next up, we have Part Waters, Two of Cups by Daniel Barnum. Hi, this is Daniel Barnum. I'm calling from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and I'm reading my poem, Part Waters, Two of Cups. How long away I was when what happened did. Compare county paperwork to memory. Maybe I woke up just as hands crushed essence, cinched esophagus. Did I know and not some psychic sense of rigor mortis catching me cross country as it set in in her bedroom? Rates of expanse, 10 years from 15, how to calculate the lack, solve for the exact date that I forgot the black of her hair. One month between the day of and the day I hear. Weeks I was busy breathing, and the fact of her was far off, but assumed to be breathing back. She spoke so low, I barely understood, except her laugh. Not sure. Did I leave voicemails while snail watching? Vacations, skinny dip baptisms. 
the beach, the creek, leeches risen out of river rocks to anesthetize and drink my legs. Was she ash already or unidentified, starting to decompose? Before I found out, I felt her home going, telling Caro on the backseat drive through graveyards split by highway. Back east, all was water, gravity racing ground toward coast. Distance and time's dials glowed blue in the nightlight shallow. Paper moon and pool, two cups reversed to mean parting, tipped out the deck into a pile on the floor. Through the door and the dark, I heard ocean swallowing its sting. So I was immediately drawn to the title of this one too, because yeah. I love me some tarot cards. <laughs> <laughs> so the Two of Cups um, has an image of two people holding cups, and and the sort of the spirit of the card is about coming together. So the the moment in the poem where the speaker says two of cups reversed to mean parting. So whenever you're reading your cards, if you deal the card and it's upside down, its meaning is reversed. Also the form definitely informs the poem. The entire poem is in couplets, which definitely mm -hmm. pairs well with the title two of cups. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I thought that was a really smart choice. And there are just really some gorgeous moments in the poem. I felt her home going, telling Tarot on the backseat drive through graveyard split by highway back east all was water yeah so mm -hmm. much beautiful language i loved the verb home going yeah i love yeah i love compound things like that and the cups also have to do with water all those images of water and that final moment i heard ocean swallowing its sting mm. really what do you think about the her in the poem the narrative here seems to me to be about loss and grief that yeah. the female figure in this poem has died. Mm. From the beginning. How long away was I when that happened? So then the poem moves backwards and forwards in time from fixed points because there's a movement of duality that, that, that goes throughout the poem. Memory and the speaker trying to reason with memory. This dead she figure and the poet also trying to negotiate that relationship life and death that also moves in duality as well as the two of cups and the way water is the the background and in some cases the foreground for what the poem is attempting to translate to the reader i think you're right about the sort of duality and it's this sort of moving back and forth between the speaker's imagination of this other figure and all of these like very specific things that the speaker was maybe doing at mm -hmm. those times and the moment where we get the voicemail, did I leave voicemails while snail watching? Like that that moment of, was I reaching out? Yeah. Like that question. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to what you said before about how you like the poems that actually sound like, like what you would understand a voicemail to be. This one stuck with me. It's really sad and really beautiful. Yeah. Back East, all was water. It's kind of romantic, but then also kind of sad because water it has a long history. It's either beautiful or mournful. And in some cases, it's both all was water. It can mean a number of things that perhaps a place that was barren and dry for many seasons, for example, finally is blessed with water, or it means that water came and took everything. Yeah, which which goes back to that duality. 
So for those of you listening at home, you can learn more about this poet at danielbarnum.weebly.com. Barnum is B-A-R-N-U-M, weebly.com. And also, again, it'll be in the description of this podcast. All right, so next up we have B. Ulrich's poem, The Burning of Knight von Hohenberg with His Servants Before the Walls of Zurich for Sodomy, 1482. Hi, my name is B. Ulrich. I'm calling from Newport News, Virginia. And today I'll be reading The Burning of Knight von Hohenberg with His Servant Before the Walls of Zurich for Sodomy, 1482. Yes, I'll admit to watching you in the courtyard from the balcony. The way you lean into your sword on the whetstone, and the way you lean into me. Your father thinks the only man to lay you down on the thick moss will have a knife in your gut. Bring your neck here. Bring your chest here. Tell him these are sparring bruises. Here the pine needles will fall on us one by one, and our fingers will curl like roots around each other as they grow. By morning, I will scrub my hands raw, pulling sap from your cloak. Over the city wall, the smoke churns and rises like the gray limb of a revenant. Man-made fire, when the last ember sputters, coughs, winks out, the trees will be as God turned them from clay. Thank you. In the actual um, SoundCloud recording, we have the picture that the poem is referring to. So in the, it's an ephrastic piece, The Burning of Sodomites in 1482. I mean, there are still a lot of places in the world today where you can be killed legally for being gay. And even in, our, and even in, in this country, trans persons are still being killed for being trans. It also kind of toggles a line between sensuality and violence. Your father thinks the only man to lay you down on thick moss will have a knife in your guts. Who do you think is speaking? Like, who's the I in this poem? Is it the servant? It could be the servant. And if it is the servant, that definitely adds another layer that makes the poem that much more interesting. The moment that makes me think that is, by morning I will scrub my hands raw, pulling sap from your cloak. In times like this, the servants don't really speak. But to kind of subvert that and create a space in which in which the servant is the speaker, because the servant would have a more interesting perspective then perhaps the knight, they see everything that the, noble, that the nobles do behind closed doors. And for that reason, their perspective is much more rich and diverse. That last stanza seems to be most specifically about burning. I guess this, maybe this is the moments before these individuals are executed. Over the city wall, the smoke churns and rises like the gray limb of a revenant man-made fire. Yeah, this is such a, this is such a tense poem to me. Mm-hmm. Like from that immediately from the opening, yes, I'll admit to watching you in the choreo from the balcony. Again, it does this thing that I think successful poems do. It brings us into another life that we would have no access to if not for the poem. Well, it is it is like what you were saying, very sensual, very masculine. Yeah. And I think that man-made fire in the final stanza is really powerful. Mm-hmm. It's also important that it, that it explicitly says man-made fire. It kind of goes back to the sensuality and the violence that the poem deals in. This one was hard for me. Why was it hard for you? Just as a queer person myself. In that way, that I, I thought about this one for days. 
I think also for me as a queer person whose parents come from a country where you could still stone someone for being gay in public, it definitely hit home for me. It also reminds me of the poem Power by Audre Lorde in that Audre Lorde talks about a young black person being killed by the police and unnecessary police brutality and how that poem was written years ago. But the poem may as well have been written today. And I think in that way, this poem is so critical. For y'all listening at home, you can find more of B's work at bulrich.tumblr.com. The link will also be in the description. End of messages. Check erased messages. The music featured on this podcast is by True Key. For more, visit soundcloud.com slash Voicemail Poems is published quarterly. Our next deadline is September 15th. Check it out at voicemailpoems.org. If you love what you heard on this podcast, please consider becoming a, a contributor to our Patreon at patreon.com slash voicemailpoems and reviewing us on iTunes. Thanks to our Patreon supporters, Tyler Byrne, Lena Renierson, and Bree Sparks. Thanks so much, IS, for being here. I had a blast. Thank you. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.